Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. Welcome back to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Today, our guest is Nancy McKenna. Nancy is a money coach with a passion for transforming the lives of single midlife women by helping them attain true financial freedom and independence. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us on the show this morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we dive in, I would love it for our listeners who may not know a lot about you or what you do. Could you talk to us just a little bit about your background and the industries that you worked in and what kind of got you into this idea of being a money coach and having that target group of single midlife women in particular? Okay, well, the last one's easy. My target group of single midlife women is because I am one. I stopped working last year in my corporate job. I was a corporate accountant for 35 years. My last 20 years were in the tech industry here in New York and also in the California in the San Francisco Bay Area. And if you've worked in tech, you might know that it's a young field. And I was the oldest one in a room almost all the time, which I did not enjoy all that much. But I do think that working in tech made me realize that a clock is ticking. I have to save for the future. And I um, had two children on my own, so I was responsible for both myself and my kids. And I wanted to make sure that they had you know, the college fund and vacations and all the things that people from two-parent families had. And so my investment of choice, I knew I was never going to get a pension, so I got into real estate investing. So that's really my, what made it happen for me. So, but yeah, I, I would look at, you know, be at work with other women in my, in their fifties and think, gosh, why aren't they as worried about money as I, mm. and I think that's partly because of my upbringing. My parents were very conscious about money and I'm one of seven kids and they did a great job and we all went to college and all that. And, you know, I wanted to do the same for my kids, but I just see there's a real need. And there are a lot of women in their fifties who are single or single again, And maybe they're just not used to handling the money. They've been so focused on their careers or their kids. And and now that the kids are out of the house, you know, it's time to focus on us and make sure we can have that dream future that we all want. That's fantastic. So for those listeners that this kind of applies to, what are some of your first steps and first suggestions for getting them on track with retirement? Where where would you get them started? Well, the first thing I tell anybody, whether they're male, female, young or old, is to find out exactly where you stand right now financially, because most people, they don't know. They don't know what their net worth is. They don't know how far off track they may be. And if you go through the exercise, and it's really simple to do, there are a million apps out there that you can use, but I do it the old fashioned way because I'm an accountant and I live in Excel. So all you have to do is just log into all of your accounts and put the balances down. And it's actually a really good exercise because you may find it hard to believe that you can't log into some of these old accounts or you may have even forgotten about some of them. You know, most popular would be 
the 401k at a former company that you worked for. And the problem with that, having been in the accounting department of these companies, is companies are acquired, they shut down, they move the accounting to Ohio or someplace where you don't know anybody, and it's really hard to get back into those old accounts. So I think it's a great exercise for everybody to do that. And also to consolidate, I would move the money out of those old 401k accounts because I had two jobs where I was brought in to close down companies that ran out of money. And I was trying to frantically contact people and say, get your money out. We're shutting it down. You know, And, you know, it's a real shame to, and the money's not gone. It would be escheated to, to the state, but but still, the point is, you just know where your money is. That's really important. Yes, knowing, knowing where your money is and knowing where you stand, I love that. So simple, but something I agree that a lot of people just don't take time to do. Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about, on your website, I saw you discuss something called the three Ds. Yeah. Tell us about the three Ds and what we need to know about that. Well, this is the importance of having a financial cushion, which most people don't have that either. And the three Ds are things that you cannot control. So divorce is one. We probably all know someone who's had like a surprise midlife divorce. Disability, it could be your disability, maybe a child's or a spouse's. And death. And death is the one that kicked me in the teeth. Uh, my 18-year-old son died four years ago after a very brief illness. And nothing can prepare you <laughs> for that. But because I had been working on my financial independence, I was able to stop working a few years after he died because I honestly simply didn't care anymore about the corporate stuff. So, but, you know, after having stopped working for a while, I realized I wanted to do something more productive. And I realized, you know, there are a lot of women that they don't understand their money as well as they should. And I would love to help other people become financially independent. Absolutely. Stan, I know you probably have tons of questions for Nancy. What do you have? Yeah, well, one thing I want to say is, you know, you, you have, sometimes people say, I heard that, heard that you lost a son. I, know how, I must know how you feel. I can tell you, I really do know how you feel because I lost a son. Oh, did you? And, uh, and I can tell you that there was a period there of maybe two years when uh, they should have taken my car keys. I had no business driving. I made I made some decisions. You know, I, I did work for clients that, you know, I, I should never have been in the room. I should not have been involved in those decisions. The clients were forgiving because they understood why, but they were tolerant. And, and um, I was fortunate that they were understanding about it. But the, I don't think people really have a, you know, really hit, you know, I, and I still, even today, and it's been almost 40 years, even today, I still don't really fully comprehend the scope of, that experience and the impact that it had on me and had on my wife, you know, just the, you know, the, the, the trauma, the trauma of it it is just so incredibly dislocating that, uh, and you really can't plan for it. You you really hope that there's a cushion there because you really become so non-functional during that period, you know, and the impact it has on relationships, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, you know, there's a, there's a lot of data that, says that, you know, that the divorce rate among people who lose a child really goes up dramatically, but just the, you know, the impact it has in, in every aspect of your life is uh, still even beyond my comprehension. So uh, I, uh, 
you know, I agree with you, you know, and, and I don't ever want to stop. So something else that, that you talk about that really intrigues me is this whole, this whole notion of the next relationship yeah. that the person has. You know, one of the things I discovered uh, in estate planning as an estate planning attorney is that, is that couples don't talk about that. You know, if, what we know is that when, when somebody loses a spouse because of death, there's a real high probability that that surviving spouse is going to be involved in a new relationship. And I found that almost no thought is given to that in the estate planning process. And I discovered that because in my own, when my wife and I were doing our own estate plan, it was an issue that she raised with me. And we had never talked about that until we, we sat down to sign our estate planning documents. And it occurred to me when she brought it up that if my wife and I hadn't talked about it, you know, and I do this for a living. If she and I hadn't talked about this, how many clients have I counseled with over the years that I didn't talk to about this issue? So I made it a rule that I always bring this up and explore it with some intensity to make sure that if there is a concern about that on the part of either the husband or the wife, that they have an ample opportunity to really give voice to that. I'm really curious to here, I know you thought about this, so I'm really curious to get your take on this question. Well, it is a complicated one. And I know when I had my estate planning done, the lawyer talked about my daughter, like protecting the assets in case she married some loser or something, you know, that you can protect your assets and keep them with the family. But, but just even estate planning aside, I mean, if a woman, I know a friend of mine, she remarried and they each had high school, college age children. And after they married, she discovered that he had been co-signing his daughter's student loans for college. And at that time, the repayment was about $800 a month. And he's a teacher, so he simply doesn't make a lot of money. And you think, wow, they probably should have discussed that. <laughs> in advance because I don't know if he continued to co-sign for the rest of her undergraduate years or, or what, but it does get complicated and I don't have the answers, but I just know that it needs to be discussed. Other people remarry and they each have adult children and how do you split up the estate? It's, you know, I, I don't know the answers, but I just know that you know, it's something that you should think about. Well, you, you should think about it. And, and I will tell you, too, that there are actually good answers. Most of the clients I work with will tell me that if, if I die first, I want to make certain that my surviving spouse is protected and taken care of. But also, I'd like to ultimately control where my share of the estate passes whenever my spouse passes. And it's certainly possible in a good, in a well-crafted estate plan to accomplish both of those things. You know, we can you know, I can leave, I can die and leave property to a trust for my wife's benefit for her lifetime and design that trust so that she's taken care of. I can design it so that quite, and quite often we do this. We design it so that, you know, a trustee that I trust, maybe a corporate trustee that's independent of my children, her children, independently manage those assets and take care of her, but uh, design it so that Later, when she passes, the, those assets then pass on to my children in ways that I choose. And I, that way I can be certain that it doesn't pass to her next husband, for example, who might, who might be a guy I don't even like. Uh, right, right. 
No, that's very true. Yes, I haven't really thought about that to that level, but I, I just think in new relationships, it you know people certainly find out. I, I would think you know if I were to get into a new relationship that you would want to at the very least exchange credit reports and you know what's your financial position because I mean I've worked way too hard for what I have to lose it to someone. So I, I was going to say, Nancy, I'm I'm curious. Uh, I'm wondering in the you've done this a while, so I'm curious if you've developed some approaches that you like to use in your client interactions to uh, to create this kind of this financial literacy that you talk about. Do you have to give us a, a you know a couple of ideas about how you like at the ground level? How do you really do? That? Well, really, it's just about being honest and open. So for each individual, they need to be honest with themselves about where they stand and, you know, whatever steps they may need to take to correct if they're on the wrong path or or what have you. But if they're in a relationship, it's being honest with each other and, and exchanging credit reports and financial statements. And this is where I am and that's where you are. And where do we hope to go in the future? It It is tricky, but, you know, it's and it's, it's complicated when people have adult children and they're going, well, wait a minute, you know, what about us? They may be afraid that something will be lost along the way. Uh, I haven't seen anything through, you know, the years to see how things play out necessarily with people I've worked with, but it's just certainly something to be mindful of. And I think estate planning, you're basically deciding in advance what happens. And I think that's why it's so smart. What are a couple, you know, you talk about mistakes that people make, but what are a couple of the most obvious mistakes that you see people make in this space? Just in general, not estate planning specific, just in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the whole notion of the whole fake rich thing, you know, people feel, well, I have a good job, I make good money, therefore, you know, they spend way too much money, basically. And, you know, if it's the whole... um private school, you know, every kid has a car, you know, fancy private colleges. It's just this debt load that just creeps up and up and up. And then people just raise, throw up their hands and go, well, life's expensive, isn't it? And, you know, the truth is some people deliberately choose not to spend their money that way. And this is actually a discussion I had with my sister last night. She's very frugal and she's been very successful financially, but we're talking about the student debt write-off that they're proposing. And I said to her, kind of half joking, well, before we write off anyone's student debt, we should look at their Instagram profiles to look at their pictures of them in Greece and with their designer purses and all of these things. And then they say, I can't repay this debt. It's too much. And it's like, you borrowed the money and it's a debt like any other. And, you know, and then you also read, I read recently, you probably are aware of this, that they're talking about garnishing social security for people in their 60s who have student debt outstanding. And I find that shocking. And I think it's because of parent plus loans. Parents are co-signing, not co-signing, but they're taking out student loans on behalf of their children, and then they are not repaying it. And so here they are about to collect social security and the government's like, well, wait, you still owe us for these student loans you haven't repaid. And, you know, it's unimaginable to me that this is even happening, but it's so, it seems like it's pretty common if you read the news. Yes, you know, debt, debt and student debt in particular is uh, certainly something that's, that's on the rise and a hot topic these days. You say on your website 
that the number one thing that really prevents people from building wealth is debt. Talk to us about why that is and what that looks like. Well, you know, if you have a large car payment and you have student debt payments and and any other sort of payment you may have, you know, if you live in a fancy condo with a large HOA fee, all these expenditures you're making is money you're not saving, right? I mean, simply put, like uh, I know one I worked with here in New York and we were opening an office in Florida and she was just getting divorced and they hadn't saved much money. And this was her big do-over. So she was going to move down to Florida and buy a modest townhouse and pay it off at 15 years. And I'm like, good, good for you. And then you fast forward a couple of years and she's in a new relationship and they bought this oceanfront condo. <laughs> and I actually looked at condos in this very building because I was thinking of perhaps investing there. But the HOA fees were more than the mortgages on my other rental properties. And I just look at her like, what are you doing? I mean, you're in the mid fifties and you're taking out a $700,000 mortgage. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what people think is going to happen. I don't know what their plans are. It, it just seems that they're not thinking of the future at all. Because, you know, in our mid fifties, we should be getting out of debt, not taking on tremendous amounts of new debt. So yes, there one particular type of debt, Nancy, that you tend to see for single women that are in their 50s? Is there a particular thing that gets them? Well, I think it's, uh, I would call lifestyle creep. I mean, one thing that people spend a tremendous amount of money on are beauty treatments. And, you know, these things that, again, I it's astounded me, but hair extensions and eyelash extensions and, and the manicures and Botox and all these things that, you know, they don't last six months. I mean, eyelash things, apparently you have to go every couple of weeks and spend $90. And I'm just thinking, people do this. It is astonishing to me. Yes. For me with all that, it's not the money, it's the time. Well, I don't have the time to commit. The lie there. <laughs> and it, I have work to do. I have, I have uh, children to care for. But yes, the I can definitely see how that would, especially at, we as women, you know, we do tend to be a little bit more vain. And so I can see that as we tend to get into our late 40s and our 50s and our 60s, we might tend to let that lifestyle creep in and spend a little bit. And, you know, post-COVID, we call that self-care, right? Well, I'm going to get well. I was just done, but it's it's self-care. So I can see how those expenses would kind of creep up and really take off, you know, even if you have the money for it. Like you said, it's money we're not saving because we're spending it on those very, very temporary temporary things. Interesting. Very interesting. And then I think a lot of another issue that's pretty significant is adult children that, you know, you continue to help financially. And this is something where, you know, it's one thing if I think, again, if it's temporary, the child needs to move back home for a couple of months or something. But there are families I know, and they're not just young people, but, you know, the parents are routinely supplementing you know, paying for their grandkids' private schools and and all these things. And, you know, I think on the one hand, it may be out of guilt that they're doing it. You know, maybe they divorced and then they feel guilty because or whatever. But, you know, it's one thing if it's temporary, but if you're doing it routinely, you're also not allowing your child to suffer through something hard and come through at the other end and say, wow, I did it. I made it through and I can do it, you know. So I think on it, it's not beneficial in the long run for either of you, really. Absolutely. I, I it's epidemic too, isn't it? That, don't you see this all the time? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm really quite astonished at how many children in their 20s and 
30s are still living with mom and dad. Yeah. And, you know, I had someone else I was talking to. She was a psychologist, but she went so far as to say it's almost abusive because it's this codependency that you both need it. But again, I mean, the parents aren't going to be here forever. And I have another friend, her sister's 50 and still lives with her mother. And and it's just like, my goodness. I mean, the mother needs to downsize and move into a one you know floor house because of her knees. And the daughter said, well, what about me? It's like, you're 50. And, and the mother feels guilty. So, it's, but again, the mother's not always going to be there. Then what will happen? Right. Right. Well, this has all been very interesting. Is there any, it truly gives me a lot to think about. Is there anything that we didn't talk about? Well, in fact, let's take just a second. So talk to us a little bit about just your coaching in general. And if we do have listeners who are interested in being connected with you, what does that look like? And what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Well, my website is nancy-mckenna.com. And you could go to nancy-mckenna.com forward slash money and download my super simple spreadsheet and that you can use to figure out exactly where you stand right now financially. And I mean, again, yes, there are apps out there to do it, but I just think there's something about logging into your accounts and looking at the numbers that really sort of, you know, embeds it more deeply in your DNA. And when you do look at your money every month, it'll change how you spend your money. So the way I start is always, where are you now? You know, and then I think looking at that spreadsheet really helps to identify trouble spots for you. If it's debt, you need to get out of debt and you need to, you know, make some significant changes if you're off track. Because again, the future's coming, whether you're ready for it or not. And you never know if it's a job loss, if it's a disability, like we said, things happen. So you have to control what you can because you, you know, you just don't know what life's going to throw at you. Absolutely. So that would if you include, could get, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, that would include... I'm guessing you would advocate some form of disability insurance. Oh, disability yeah. income. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Uh-huh. And there's yeah. our other insurance programs that people are not programs, policies people buy that I, I don't think they need, like I you know, whole life policies. So there's a whole a list of things that we run through to make sure that, you know, you're spending money where you should and not spending it where you shouldn't. So I remember a long time ago, I remember listening to a recording of this speech that Warren Buffett gave to the graduating class at the University of Nebraska. And he talked about credit card debt. And, and I, I can't quote it verbatim now. It's been a while. But he essentially said, if, if, you, if, you, if you run up credit card debt where you're paying 22, 25, 28% interest, you'll, you'll never build a net worth. You can't, you, you can't work hard enough to outrun that. And that's what they charge these days, you know? And so there's just a ton of that out there. And you see that I'm sure with your clients. Yeah. And it's just, it doesn't serve them, you know, simply put. So, you know, and the people that are successful, you have to model the people that are successful. Don't model the people you see on Instagram that get Botox every two months, right? Because you don't know what their financial picture looks like and it's probably not, not pretty, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great uh, one-line quote. Just because they're pretty on Instagram doesn't mean they're pretty financially. Yeah. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything that we forgot to talk about that you'd like to tell our listeners about? 
Well, just that I think the power of personal responsibility is something that is sort of lost in today's society. I mean, everyone likes to say, oh, you poor thing. Oh, student debt. Oh, this, that. But the truth is, you know, you're your own best advocate. And if you own your successes and your failures, then I think you're on stop, right? If you say, I need to turn my financial picture around, maybe I downsize, maybe I do this, maybe I do that. And you do it for yourself and only you benefit from it. It's, it's really powerful stuff. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all of our listeners who joined us today. We are so glad you were with us. Our guest today was Nancy McKenna. And for more information on Nancy and the work that she does, you can visit nancy-mckenna.com. And we will also link that for you in the show notes. Thanks again for joining us. This has been the Legacy Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.